This is the School Success Podcast, a podcast for school leaders to learn from other school leaders what's working and what's not, and to get inspiration and encouragement, as well as strategies to grow school enrollment, connect with families, retain teachers, recruit teachers, and everything in between. You guys are heroes, and I cannot thank you enough for pouring into this next generation that's coming behind us. My goal is you will take at least one thing away from every episode that you can take back to your school to make it better than it is right now. Please enjoy the School Success Podcast. Hey, School Success Makers. Today we're joined by a new friend of mine, Dr. Addie Ellis, out of beautiful Sacramento, California. We dive into a ton on this episode, and her and I could have easily talked for hours. It's a fun one. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. She is amazing, and her personality is top-notch and awesome. So enjoy the next episode of the School Success Podcast. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the School Success Podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Slater. I'm joined by a new friend out of beautiful, sunny Sacramento, California. It is Dr. Addie Ellis, who is the Director of Student Services at Natomas Charter School over there in Sacramento. Uh, we did a ton of talking before we started recording. She's awesome, and she's got some cool things that she can share, only she wants to share, but some things that took place in the 80s, the 90s, the early 2000s, some crazy facts. Actually, I think she should share them, but I don't want to take any thunder away from her. So I'm going to pass it off to her. Uh, Addie, welcome to the podcast. Please introduce yourself and uh, give everybody a big warm welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I am, as you've already said, Dr. Addie Ellis. I'm Student Services Director at Thomas Charter. However, what's more important is that I have been an educator my entire life. Mm. I cannot remember a time from kindergarten to now, that I was not an educator. I was the child that drove everyone crazy because like, oh no, I know the answer. I can carry the books. I can answer that question. I can counsel you. Uh, my first career was a counselor and that is how I still see myself, is very much a counselor and then a principal. And then um, I was a professor for a little while. I taught Oh gosh, the psychological perspectives of gender and social cultural foundations of so how we as society and as educators really need to look at all aspects of society and human beings when we're teaching. And then I'm student services director now. So I've, I've done it all. I'm a grandma. I'm a mom. I am a researcher, advocate. Oh, what else is important to know about me? I, I climb mountains and when I say I climb mountains, I don't climb little mountains. I climb Kilimanjaro uh, wow. because I'm afraid of falling to my death. So I climb Kilimanjaro to overcome that fear. Okay. And that's it. I don't think there's anything else to know about me. Man, well, I got some because I learned a few things before I got, got in here and started talking with you on the recording. I loved all of that. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me that I thought was a fun fact is, you know, uh, as I'm recording this, and this is, you know, probably months before you guys are actually hearing this recording, like I currently technically have COVID. I had it, you know, tested positive a couple of days ago, but feeling way better today. So we're here, her and I were talking and she's like, well, I haven't been sick since like 2002. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I would love just for fun because I thought that was really entertaining. Um, Addie, like t tell a little bit about that. Like I know you're obviously a health nut and just kind of like you're, I love you're sharing about what you have at your house and all that stuff. So. Oh, how did that would that take oh, yeah. place? So uh, yeah, 2002, I had some type of crazy pneumonia that the doctors had never heard of before, but I was really sick. 
and that's the last time I've been visibly sick. I don't eat meat. I haven't eaten meat since January 9th, 1990. Yes, I remember dates for everything because <laughs> they're usually associated with something else. So January 9th, 1990 was the last time I had meat. I grow my own food, so everything is out in the backyard. And it's actually, that was a COVID discovery. I didn't know I actually love gardening. I couldn't do anything else. I started growing my food. And so we're going on, we just like just finished our 24th month anniversary of COVID. So yeah, I've been having a garden for two years. So I have my winter crop, I'm closing out spring, summer garden. I do all my own fruits. And so winter time I have citrus, summer I have all the berries and yeah, I, I only drink tea and water. I do my own teas, so I have mint and lavender and chamomile. Uh, so yeah, I, I do take care of myself. And part of that is because as educators, it's so easy to get caught into the loop of being unhealthy mm. uh, because we're doing a lot and there's a lot of stress. I had shared with Mitchell when we were offline that when I was working on my dissertation, I survived on Cheetos, red, red vine, and white wine and tea. But that was pretty much it because stress makes us do, uh, it makes us do comfort food. Oh, and I forgot French fries. Even now, <laughs> French fries are an important part of anyone's diet. Nothing beat French fries. Oh, I love it. And I, I told her, I said, this is a great thing you're, you're in, in education. So when all the kids are struggling with a test or getting nervous, you say, hey, tell your mom to go buy you some red vines, some French fries, and go take that test and get an A. And I, I think that's great. So I think that's all we want to talk about today. So I think we're good to hop off, I think, right? That's a good tip for everybody to take away. We can go. We can totally go now. <laughs> well, so obviously you got your you got your doctorate. You're obviously very well educated. You've been doing this a long time. Uh, you mentioned loving to do hiking. What else do you like to do? Tell me maybe a little bit about Sacramento. What other things you like to do for fun? For fun, pretty well. Um, my backyard is lovingly called Narnia. Mm. So everyone teases me because when I open the door, I go into the oasis and I'm in Narnia. So I write, um, I still research regularly because research is a passion of mine. People, you do that for fun? Like, yeah, I actually do that for fun. I like to research. Hiking is my, it's my jam, uh, going up high and there's something about the higher altitudes releases every stressor and reminds me of how small I am in this larger universe and the responsibility of taking care of our planet as part of taking care of our planet is taking care of our young people. So hiking, I cycle, so I have my, my road bike and so I'll still ride occasionally. I'm a runner. Uh, oh, the other fun fact, this is another uh, COVID discovery. I hula hoop and I love hula hooping. <laughs> So I, I started with one hoop. I now have like 10 hoops. I have dance hoops. I have weighted hoops. I have all these different types of hoops. Uh, oh, and another COVID discovery is dancing. So I just recently taken up dance lessons, uh, salsa, bachata, uh, zook, new style I had didn't know before, uh, Chicago step. So dancing, another Man, love. I, one, I love that you're you're not just like, Go to school, come home, Netflix. You know, I like that you're all you're doing something. You're staying active. Obviously, you're eating super healthy. Uh, I do want to, you know, when we're done, please text me a picture of your backyard. Like, I 
I want to see this Narnia thing and I want to see because and I'll send you one of ours because we like I said we just put our garden in the okra came up the spinach the lettuce uh what else I put in there tomatoes and uh peppers they're all coming in I'm like yes like so excited and it's just like very satisfying and very rewarding to like have your own stuff that's grown from the dirt you put in the yard it's really cool so I want to see yours though I want to see this Narnia backyard there in California awesome well I would love to hear a little bit about your charter school. And before we dive into some of the, the questions, just maybe give me a little history of how you ended up at the charter school that you're at and just a little bit about the school in general. So Natomas Charter School is actually one of the oldest charters in the state of California. It was founded in 1992, and that's when the charter law passed. We are charter school wow. 19. And the reason we are 19 is that all the charter schools came on the same day. They put them in alphabetical order and the Thomas was number 19. We are one charter, but we have five academies. We have an elementary school that is TK5. It looks like any other elementary school that you would see on the street when you walk by it. You wouldn't know all the awesome things that happens inside. It's TK5. We have a K8 homeschooling academy. And although it sounds like homeschool, everybody's at home and you go to them, like we're actually a site-based homeschool. So the parents are the primary educators. They have credentialed teachers who support them in uh, educating their children. We provide all of the services. I'll talk about that a little bit more. So that's one, two. We have a six-eight project-based learning academy and a six-twelve performing and fine arts academy. It is our largest academy. We have a full state-of-the-art theater. We just finished a production of In the Heights that was phenomenal, uh, phenomenal. I don't even have words for the level of talent that our students have. It shakes me every time. Like, wow, you, you're you in high school? You're amazing. And then our last uh, academy is a 9-12 early college academy. So it's hybrid learning. The students attend courses, uh, on site, think of it like a community college where you do your lecture in your lab. So their lecture would be the virtual online portion, their lab would be um, where they come on site. And then they also take uh, courses at the community college through dual enrollment. So the goal is that they have their community college credits, so their undergrad credits, a certificate of, of whatever college career tech course they want to have they can have a certificate in that area but really when we consider many times young people who traditionally don't access higher education it's not because they can't it's because they don't believe they can so the early college model and they're all over the nation the early college model allows young people to know they can do college and it's a supportive environment so you have your high school teachers, counselor, principal who are still cheerleading you and helping you learn how do I talk to my professor during office hours? How do I study? A lot of the things that others learn by trial and error, they get a supportive environment while they're still in high school so that when they get to college after high school, either you know as a freshman or having enough transfer credits to be a junior, they already know how to do college and do it successfully. So those are our five academies. We are 
when I look at the commitment of the educators that are there, because it is hard work to, from an administrative team, to navigate all these five academies when you have one school. Like, so there's different personalities at each one, and we want to still keep that one school feel while allowing each academy to be independent and kind of have its own personality. It's like having five kids. Each child we love for their uniqueness, but you're still one family. Man, well, some follow-up questions for that. Are you guys all on, uh, well, one piece of property or one building? And two, how many enrollment, how big is your enrollment between all of those different family members? <laughs> yeah, so we have three school sites, so our elementary school, but we're all within a five-mile radius. So our elementary school has its own site. Our homeschooling uh, academy has its own site, and then the others share a site. So the 612 uh, Performing and Fine Arts Academy, the 68 Project-Based Learning, and the 912 Early College Academy, they all share the same school site. We have enrollment of about 1,900 across all five academies. So we essentially operate as a small school district. We have our executive director who would be that superintendent position, uh, myself as director of student services, my counterpart, director of teaching and learning. We have a director of budget and finance. That's really our district office functions uh, in administration. And then each academy has their principal. The two largest ones, the elementary school and the performing and fine arts academy, they have uh, associate principal or assistant principals uh, at their sites because it's a lot to navigate uh, when you have 600 yeah. kids on site. That's a lot. So 1,900 <laughs> students. And is that even full capacity or you guys have room to grow? We have some room to grow, uh, but not too much more than that. And most of our growth will occur in our early college academy and our homeschooling academy. Uh, the elementary school is pretty well maxed out at 600. However, in California, we do have a new uh, bill that was passed on man, uh, universal TK. So we will be expanding our TK enrollment, which will grow our elementary school as we expand uh, TK. And then at the high school, we might grow some, but we are somewhat constrained by our site and wanting to make sure we're providing the best services for the students we have. We have a full inclusive education department which is also known as special education. Uh, we have rebranded to inclusive education uh, because the, um, the stigma that's associated with, you are special ed, and trying to move away from that because all of our students, actually anybody in society could qualify for special education mm -hmm. because everybody got, a, everybody got something that's wrong with them. And I'm putting wrong in quotes. Everyone has a learning challenge that they're learning to navigate. And so with, for students who qualify for special education, it's not because there's something wrong with them, it's because they learn differently. They need some uh, modifications or accommodations to access the learning. And we, as a school, are mindful of not stigmatizing their need mm, to learn differently. That's good, I, I love that and I think that's, uh... Well, I guess the question for that, is that just your school doing that or is that a California thing for trying to rename that? So I've seen some trends nationwide. I have not 
heard it in California, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, social justice, and education is out is a responsibility that I feel I have as an educational leader. And the more I'm able to use those terms, the more that I'm with my counterparts and we're using the terms inclusive education, or I, I don't know, I would like to just not call it anything and just say we're teaching kids. And some of our students might have an individualized education plan. Some might have a 504 plan. Some might not have anything at all. We just teach young people. That's what I want us to move towards, but I know society needs labels and boxes to yeah. put things in and we're not ready to give it I think it we're on the boxes. right track though. I think we're, I really, I really think we are. Um, uh, well, that's exciting. And so I'll, I, I think it's a perfect segue into, uh, you can, you got 1,900 students, so that's a lot. There's got to be some challenges. So I would love to hear, man, some, what are the challenges you guys are kind of up against right now? And then how are you combating those those challenges? Because I know there's people that are listening in, uh, you know, some of the people I've interviewed. We've got some people that have 100-something students. We've got some people with, I think you might be the biggest so far that I've interviewed, but some people over 1,000. So like you're going to have challenges that obviously a, maybe a hundred one would be like, Oh my gosh, like I can't even imagine, but I know everybody can learn from each other. So I just, I'm excited to hear what are some of these challenges and how you guys are combating those. So one of the biggest challenges, and I think this is educator education, wherever you go is the misinformation of society on what public education is. Educators are vilified in ways that I sometimes just don't even fathom when especially with the covid situation pandemic restrictions whatever we want to say um at first we were loved everyone like, oh my gosh teachers and educators do so much and then as the pandemic wore on somehow we became the villain in the story of you're keeping kids out of school uh, so that misinformation of who educators are and what we do is one of the challenges and is helping people at our school understand that we're on your team. <laughs> we are team your kid. Educators actually spend more time with other people's children than they do their own. And I need people to let that sink in is that we spend time with other people's children more than we spend time with our own kids on a day to day basis. And the love that we put into our work, yes, there's always gonna be those people who are looking for, like, I'm just ready for retirement and they're curmudgeonly people who probably need to leave the profession. Most of us aren't. Most of us got into this, re this work because we love what we do. Similar to um, police people, fire people, we rush towards problems and challenges. We don't run away. So it's combating that misinformation and doing that through newsletters, through things like this podcast, uh, being able to inform people that we are just like you. And when you're mean to us, it doesn't feel good. And it makes us want to run away because we don't like when people are mean because we, we come from this from our heart. Even when we make mistakes, we're coming from our heart. Uh, I would think another challenge is shifting the practices. We have to remember that we're still utilizing a 19th century model 
in education. And we are in a 21st century phenomenon that's morphing every day. When we look at the singularity uh, perspective, and that's that before things were additive and now we're getting into exponential growth that's caused by technology. So things aren't changing in a one plus one anymore. It's huh, 10 to the hundredth power and we're changing every day and how do we keep up with it? So how do we align educational practices to match our new society and really preparing kids for a world that we don't even understand? When I'm speaking to staff members or to those who want to listen to me, because I don't know if you've noticed, I talk a lot and I like to talk. When I'm having conversations, it's like we're preparing for our current students' grandchildren. We aren't teaching for now. We're teaching for how these current students are going to prepare a world for their grandkids. And when I look at that, it's what are we really teaching? I know that I don't want to get into political, you know, what's right or what's wrong, but the fight of teaching history. We know that when we teach history, we've always done it with a 90 degree angle view. So we think of, you know, we have angles 45, 90, 180, 270, 360. The more that we open the aperture, so the more that we open it up and we widen that angle and we're able to teach history 270 degree view, that last 90, it gets really hard to, to do that because it gets into intersections and different perspectives and the individual. But if we can open that history up, that allows people to learn from the past to not make those mistakes in the future. And that is part of aligning the practices to our current and future world everything from science, technology, engineering, arts, math, everything ties in together and really allowing young people to explore. And that goes back to, to education before there was a formalized education. People learn through experiences. It's like, okay, if I go out and I'm in this farm and I'm raking, I know that this is going to work and this isn't going to work. I'm a big proponent of letting kids play, especially TK through grades two. My mom, uh, she was a early childhood educator and she would say kids up until about eight years old only need to learn how to get their <laughs> toy back without hitting the other person. All they need to learn is how do I get my toy back without hitting another person? And then the last challenge is mental health, not just the mental health of our students, but the mental health of our staff and of our parents. People are struggling. We've had this shared trauma called COVID-19. You layer that on a lot of the political trauma that individuals have experienced. Uh, there's a lot and people are struggling. They're struggling with self-medication. They're struggling with anxiety, depression. Uh, they're learning how to live with those, uh, those constructs of anxiety, depression, uh, social fears, self-medication. We're seeing as a trend in society, if, you, if we look at the research, that more and more young people 
are having suicide ideation, that they're self-medicating. In California, cannabis is legal. So it used to be that kids would get to their parents' liquor cabinets. Now they're getting to their parents' mm -hmm. cannabis supply because they aren't able to cope. And as a school, what we are working on is increasing the education of the harms of self-medication and also working on ensuring people have access to mental health supports. We are fortunate as a school, part of my department, shout out to student services, what, what? We have um, two mental health therapists, so marriage family therapists who work with us. We have two academic counselors. Um, we have one who hybrids with academic and social emotional. Our elementary school has a full-time counselor there. We also have two school psychologists. I'm in the process of hiring a third. Uh, we are in the process of hiring a behaviorist because we're seeing that young people's behaviors have shifted from pre-pandemic to now. And so really having a comprehensive support team. I'm also working on um, having social worker interns that can help with the larger family case management support because in many instances, it's not just the young person who needs the support, it's the full family that needs assistance in navigating yeah. um, life. And we, we are working with organization that is a mental health concierge service. So they, it's like they call themselves the Uber of mental health. You put them in contact, they do all the hard work for the family of finding who's the mental health provider who takes their insurance, who has an opening, and then connects the two. So those are all the things that we're doing to combat those challenges. The three challenges, misinformation in the world, the shifting of practices to align with our current and future world, and the, uh, the challenge of mental health and self-medication. Man, I, well, I appreciate you giving the recap there too of the three so people um, can remember those. To touch on that third one, if you got a school that you mentioned hiring the um, the different roles, behaviorist and all that stuff. If if there's a school listening that's too small, they can't hire that. What would you recommend that they do? I mean, you mentioned this this company. It's kind of like the Uber. Uh, is there something else that you encourage them to do? Maybe somebody in their school needs to get specific training to help if they can't afford to bring on a full time person to do that. Because obviously, other schools are, I would assume, have the same issues as well, but they can't go out and hire three or four people uh, right off the bat. What would you say they should do? I would say look at your budget and see how you can realign things. So that would be first, to see if you can actually do it. Second, if there is a university or a community college nearby, connect up with those organizations. One of the challenges of education is that we've always siloed ourselves into, we have to do it alone. We have to solve all the world's problems. No, link up with nonprofits, colleges, community colleges, universities, because there's people there who can provide the services. I had mentioned the social worker interns. So I talked to one of the nonprofits and they're looking for a placement for their social workers and they just need space. And like, I can do space. I can, I will give up my office if they need to have space, um, but they'll do everything else. So they will supervise the person They'll take care of any type of salary and benefits for that individual. All I have to do is provide the space. And it's a matter of being creative. 
talked to some of the larger schools. Uh, when I was a counselor 6,925 years ago, yes, I am that old. <laughs> when I was a counselor, I would often volunteer my time at some of the smaller schools after hours. So if they needed a parenting class, I would I would volunteer to do that. I'm I'm committed to our community. If we think about it, education is the only field that touches every other field. We train everybody. Ooh, that's good. That's <laughs> why that's one reason I love doing this podcast. One is I'm a huge fan of you guys, all the educators out there, because it's sometimes, like you already mentioned, a thankless job, uh, which I wish it wasn't that case. You know, of course, I, I love parents that are passionate, of course. I want you to be passionate about your kids' education, of course. But you got to know, like, it's not like they're doing it to become millionaires like these teachers. You know, we got to give them, you know, give them love, give them thanks. And uh, I mentioned this already probably two or three times on other podcast episodes. But one of the things I do with my, with my uh, little guy when we take him to his school is the I ask like, hey, what's your favorite coffee? You know, and um, and the people are like, oh, I like Dunkin' or I like you know whatever. And so uh, multiple times now, I just bring coffee for I do, right now. I do for the three office staff and the two teachers, main teachers in his room. So like five coffees. I think they're three bucks a piece, two bucks a piece. So it's like ten bucks, fifteen bucks. You just bring coffee every once in a while, and you just see the face like, oh my gosh, like thank you so much and. Uh, it just, you can tell like it's, it's so small, but it's like you, you took the time to think of it. And so anybody out there like that's listening, I mean, mostly it's school leaders, of course, but like buy people coffee or buy, you know, if it's, if it's Miss Addie, bring her some zucchini and squash, you know, in the morning, like, here's your vegetables for the day. (laughs) So, but but there you go. So I'm, yeah, just that those little things, man, they go a long way. I know, um, just being thanked, knowing that people actually see what you're doing. It's not just like, oh, this is your job. Like, well, yeah, it's my job, but I still would like to be thanked for the job I'm doing. That's good. Oh, well, we're going to jump right into the next section, which is my favorite section. And I usually it's the guest's favorite section. This is where you get to brag. You get to brag all about your school. I know you guys are doing a ton of awesome things, but share some of the things that are just going super good that you could share. And then maybe other people that are listening could be like, dang, I want to do the same thing that they're doing. Well, the first one I'm talking about is really boring, but I'm going to brag on it because my t- my team and our superintendent did this, so- our executive director did this so well. In California, I'm in, I'm in the state of California, I'm in Sacramento, uh, but in California as a whole, we educators had to take on the role of public health during all of the COVID restrictions. We navigated every public health order well to keep our students in school. And we did it seamlessly uh, from the early days of the pandemic when it was distance learning, we pivoted and we were photocopying things and being online. And I did home visits with the physical distance, but I would still go to homes. And we did that well from March 13th, 2020, to bring our kids back on April 1st, 2021 is when we brought them back and then starting this school year, August, 2021. And just letting young people know that we support them and care and we're still gonna teach and learn. We focused on mental health to begin with. So just rebuilding relationships and connections before we jumped back into, I'm putting hard academics in quotes, 
before we jump back into the academic section, it was how do we build community? How do we focus on community? So we did that well. It's like we're going to build community before we jump in and say you need to do homework tomorrow. So that was one thing that we navigated well and that I'm super proud of our team and bringing back really more challenging concepts and, and homework and accountability for both our students, staff, and parents, adding that on gradually instead of throwing it at everybody. Uh, Student-centered policies, procedures, and practices. I know that some of my young people get frustrated because I ask lots of questions. My department, student services, if you think of teaching and learning as everything that the kids learn and how they learn it, student services, I feel, is the most important role because we're looking at the, the how we are socially, emotionally prepared. How do we have accommodations? How do we structure things differently to meet the needs of young people? Uh, I'm an old youth developer. Um, back in the day, I used to do youth development work, human development work as um, in a nonprofit. I took that into education. So with my young people, they have to sometimes give their opinion. I need to know how do we do these policy procedures and practices well? You might not always get your way, but your voice matters. And having, I have focus groups. We do, uh, one of my young people, shout out, amazing young person. They, for their senior project, challenged our dance department on the, the dress code in dance and looking at how dance has always come from a historical perspective of being Eurocentric. And they wanted to broaden that. They did primary source research. So they did that. They did surveys. They interviewed the dance department. They did focus groups with their peers. And they constructed a research project as a high school senior that they presented to the dance department and to our diversity, equity, inclusion team, like these, and with recommendations. Super excited for that. That shows how young people are not just recipients of what we give them, but they're active participants in their learning. Uh, so that that makes me excited and happy, and I geek out <laughs> whenever I see I like. Oh my goodness! And I would tell them that working with you is the highlight of my day and being able we would meet bi-weekly and the student would bring their project and the progress like you actually are doing better at bracketing yourself from the research than some of my grad students who are passionate about a topic uh, the student was able to separate themselves and say nope i'm gonna look at this as unbiased as possible I'm going to just look and see what the data says. And that's what I'm going to report. Super excited. I don't know if you feel super excited. And then the last thing that we're doing well, uh, I touched on with the Navigating Public Health Guidance, is we are building a community. That's not saying we're doing it perfect. I have, I have parents who think that I can't stand them or their children because I have boundaries. Uh, what in my 
email signature line for work, it says something to the effect of, uh, you know, I respect personal boundaries. I don't answer emails after X time. Uh, you might not get a response within 24 hours because I may be doing something else. If there's an emergency, this is how you would reach me. And I, I stick to that. It's like, I believe in letting people know how to treat me. I'm not gonna work until midnight responding to emails because I have to live. And building that community with our educators, knowing, helping them understand that we respect them as people and as educators. And it seems like those two things should go together, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you have to bifurcate that educator part from the other person part. Uh, so in building the community, there's been people who've left. There's been parents who've left. There's been students who've chosen to leave. There's been staff that's chosen to leave because it is hard work. And we do have high expectations of providing support for our kids and for teaching our kids. Um, I, I don't know how to describe when we're building a community, oftentimes uh, community members want it their way. You said something important about parents being their children's best support. They are their best advocate. They want what's best for their child. If we think about the fact that you have your little one, you put, you got a whole lot of eggs in that basket and you want him to have all the wonderful things in the world. That's what every parent wants. As educators, we want that too. And in building the community, it's respecting that each part of the triangle, the parent, the student, the staff, we each have a role that we have to uphold to make sure that triangle stays solid. That's how you get your 90 degree angle sometimes. Sometimes it's a 180 degree angle. Sometimes it's a 45 degree angle because people have to give different things at different times. And we just respect that. So those are the three things that are going well that I'm excited about. Oh, and the last thing, our Performing and Fine Arts Academy, we brought back productions big, big time. So we have our visual performing arts, our... Um, our music program, watching them perform, I get chills and goosebumps because their teachers, amazing. The integration of the academic part with the performing arts part, they slide it together. We have, um, it's called the American Artist Project that our junior class uh, social studies and English department does where young people research someone, an American artist, and everything from um, Angela Maya, uh, Maya Angelou to, oh gosh, I can't think of anybody right now, uh, Langston Hughes, you know, and everyone in between, they do it and they do it with excellence. Um, and I can go on and on and on bragging about my school. We're awesome. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Brag. Brag about your school. Uh, you guys are doing some awesome things, and there's nothing wrong with bragging about your school and what you guys are doing. So obviously you love what you're doing. You've been doing it a while. Do you see yourself in this this role for maybe another 50 years doing what you're doing? What do you think? 50? 50? Um, yeah, no. <laughs> no, no, not 50. Educate. And it's funny. When I, when I say that, I'm joking but not joking. It... 
requires people to know when to transition to a different role. Uh, I've done a lot. I was, when I was working on my internship hours, I was a campus monitor. I've been office staff. I was a counselor, like I said, professor, principal. I've done lots of different positions. And I had to know when it was time to transition out. So when I left, I left K-12 education for about seven years to teach at the university level because I had lost some of my spark. The number of angry phone calls and people not understanding and coworkers not understanding that kids' voices matter and the diversity, equity, inclusion part. I don't even have words for that right now. It All of those things took a toll. And I always said, if I was doing more harm to kids than good, I can get a job selling shoes and get a discount and I'd be okay. I'm gonna be able to make a living. Uh, but I couldn't leave education. So that's where uh, teach, uh, teaching teachers and teaching counselors, that passion came in. And then one day I was sitting, after seven years I was sitting and I was in the parking lot of uh, the church I attended and I said, huh, I think I'm ready to go back to K-12 education. And within two weeks, I have the position I'm in now. It was Providence. It was time for me to come back. And I know I still have lots to give to both the school that I'm at now, our charter school, and to the system as a whole, education system. And when it's time for me to go into the sunset, I, I will. And I will do it knowing that I gave all that I can give to a field that I am passionate about, to young people that I am thankful for. Um, they teach me new things every day. And my, since when I look back, we plant seeds. As educators, we plant seeds. And many times we don't see what the product's gonna be. And I'm fortunate with social media now, I'm able to connect back up, my young people connect back up with me and seeing the great things they're doing and them attributing it to something that I did or said. One of my former students is a counselor now and he shares like, oh yeah, I say this just like you. Like, man, that is, I, I can't ask for more. To leave a legacy of talking and sharing and growing people is something that I wouldn't change for the world. I love that. I love that so much. And I, I love that you mentioned the part about planting seeds. And that is exactly what you guys as school leaders and teachers are doing. You're planting all these seeds and all these students who are <clears throat> going into the, the world and doing all these different roles, different jobs, uh, starting families, all these different things. And and you might not see it, like you said. Yes, social media helps with that, which is truly is an awesome thing, and it, it does. Uh, but you might not see it. But knowing that you have helped impact, hopefully, again for the good or, or the or the bad. Uh, hopefully, everybody who's you know listening is like, hey, I want to be the one that's influencing these students for good. Like, there's going to be these things for years and decades, and honestly, some of them generations to come that your impact is going to make that big of a difference. And so we kind of turned to wrap the, the podcast up. I wanted to ask you one, one final question. If, we, you were to, if you were to give a piece of advice or wisdom for any of the school leaders listening, 
What would that be? Use your power wisely. We have a lot of power. We have the power to help young people soar or for them to crash. One of the things that they, that's been shared with me over time is uh, many times parents have had bad experiences with educators. That's why they dislike us. And we should never crush a child's dream. We should be the wind that helps lift them. And I hear, well, you want them to be realistic. No, I want you to dream and dream big. And I'm going to help you with the tools for that dream. And knowing what your, whatever it is. Uh, I tell people to find their theme. Don't find the job you want, find the theme. So the theme in my life has always been the ability to have deep, meaningful impact and connection on the lives of others. No matter what job I do, I'm going to seek out that theme of how do I have deep, meaningful impact? How do I help others grow? So if somebody wants to be a surgeon, what do you really want to be? What are you hoping to accomplish in being a surgeon? You want to help others. Great. So you might not do it being a surgeon. It might be something else, but we're going to find that theme and give you the tools to reach the theme, not the job. So the, the advice, use your power wisely. Always speak life and speak joy, even in discipline, even in setting boundaries. You, we speak life. I said it earlier. We touch every single field in the planet. We teach teachers. We teach artists. We teach nuclear physicists. We teach athletes. We teach everybody. We have a responsibility to ensure that they're going into the world to make it a better place. That is so good. That is so good. Uh, thank you, Dr. Addy. Thank you so much for giving up your time today to be on this podcast. And, and just a huge shout out to you because I can tell from your uh, you're, you're pa you have passion for this. I can tell it from your voice, from your smile, from what you're doing. I can tell that you love what you do. You love students. You love the next generation. And I see that. And I just want to say thank you for what you're doing and encourage you to continue to do what you're doing because people need some more do Dr. Addy in their life, pouring into them and loving them and encouraging them. So thank you for all the years that you've done this. And I wish you a, a ton more years of pouring into that next generation and wishing you and your school absolutely nothing but the best. Thank you. Well, a huge shout out and a thank you to Dr. Addie Ellis again for taking time to be on the podcast. I loved our chat. Again, I could have chatted for hours with her. She is incredible and is doing amazing things and loving students and pouring into those students. So wishing her and her school nothing but the best as they continue to grow. And as always, guys, I hope you're able to take at least one thing from today's episode, take it back to your school to make it better than it is right now. Or maybe it's like, you know what? I just need to grow a garden at my house. And if that's the case, that is awesome too. I'll take that as a win. If your school's looking to grow or connect better with the families that are a part of your school or you're looking to get connected with more people in your community, we would love to hear from you. We love helping schools to grow and you can find out more about us on our website, schoolsuccessmakers.com. That's schoolsuccessmakers.com and 
I would love you to join our free private Facebook community for school leaders. It's called School Success Makers. Pretty straightforward, pretty easy. There's some awesome school leaders in there just waiting to hear from you, meet you, and able to pour into each other as you guys continue to grow and become even better school success makers. So I look forward to seeing you in the private Facebook community, and we'll be here next week with another awesome, awesome guest as usual on the School Success Podcast. We'll see you then.